Radio News. And now for the Faith FM Breakfast Show with the double L team, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome, everybody. You're listening on 87.6, or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in this morning, in the morning. Big shout out this morning to those listening in Glen Innes, New South Wales on 87.6, Gainder in Queensland on 87.8, or Canberra on 87.6. Lawson, mm-hmm. what are you thankful for this morning? Lots of things, Lyle. Yes. Lots, lots of things. But I'd say, you know, you know when you just do something cool in front of people that you don't expect to do and it's just like, it's just cool. You're yes. just like, whoa. Well, so yesterday I was at uni and there was a bunch of people playing basketball and obviously I wasn't playing because I'm crippled. Like I've got this, you know, moon boot on and my crutch. But then, you know, I'm watching from the sidelines. I'm like, oh, this looks so fun. It was like a very casual pickup basketball game. And then I've like walked onto the court and I'm like, yeah, throw me the ball. Like just joking around. I'm like just outside the three point line. Someone passes the ball over to me. I've got my crutch in one hand, my boot on the other foot. And I throw this ball one handed from the three pointer and it goes straight in. So you're playing basketball in your moon boot. I threw one shot and then a walked three off. Pointer. And it made it. And I was, everyone was like, whoa. And I was like, that was such a fluke, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe that's the first three pointer I've hit this year. Like, as in, because I never shoot, because I'm terrible at shooting. So, <laughs> so my father in law was playing golf the other day. Uh-huh. And uh, he gets, um, well, well, okay. No, no, your father he gets, he gets a hole in one to the point where the ball runs up to the hole. Uh-huh. And you know how sometimes you see it and it will just skirt around the edge? Yeah. It did that and didn't go in. Oh, <laughs> it would have been a hole in one. That's tough. That is uh, tough. Uh- You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Back everybody, listen to Kimmy Ogendi right there with winter. We've got a bit of a winter blast coming this weekend to our region of New South Wales. Don't know what you're going to be facing elsewhere, but looking rather cool for Friday, Saturday, Sunday Mm. over here. So an appropriate song right there. Uh, Let's get into our question for the quiz. In Revelation 6, what did John see when the first seal was opened? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you will go into the draw to win our Bible study companion Conflict of the Ages set that we will give to you absolutely for free, provided that you win the draw. Again, as I said yesterday, this is probably one of the best extra-biblical resources that is out there. And what I mean by extra-biblical is, you know, as a Bible commentary on the amazing events that have happened from before Genesis to after Revelation, you can read all about it in this five books boxed set. But again, that question was, in Revelation chapter 6, what did John see when the first seal was open? Now, you've he- heard me say Revelation 6, giving you a clue as to where this is. If you're a regular church attender, try and just guess this one based on your knowledge of reading the Bible. But if you're not a regular church attender, if you don't attend church every week, we give you license to go and look up the answer. Again, that number is 0491 064 
All right, give us a call right now if you know the answer. We would love to hear from you guys. Let's have some positively different news. All right, so, Lyle. Yes. Do you like Carl? Yes. I love Carl. Yes. I think Carl is beautiful. Yes. I think it's amazing. I think it's one of my most... Like a flower garden under the water. That's right. I think it's one of my most treasured memories was being six years old and going up to Cairns with my family and going out on the, you know, the pontoon and they chuck those blue swimsuits on you so you don't die from jellyfish sting and you go swimming around... And looking at the coral, like, snorkeling. Like, yes. Seriously, I rem- I still remember that. Tra- I remember stuff that went down. It was, like, it's probably, like, one of my earliest memories of going overseas or doing anything with my family. Like, I remember stuff from before that. But, yeah, that trip in particular. I remember one thing. <laughs> this kind of spawned a bit of a phobia in me. was my sister holding me under the water, and there was this massive big fish. And I was like, let me up, because I was scared of the big fish. And she was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to feed you to the beast. Yeah, I was freaking out. But no, I've been up to the Great Barrier Reef, and it is a fantastically beautiful spot. Now, a group of scientists in Townsville mm-hmm. have just produced the first ever off-season coral spawning event ever. Really? Ever. Like in the ocean. They did it in the ocean. They did it in a lab. In the lab. But even in a lab, okay, it's so incredible. But why is that hard, though? I'm an off-season. Just get the water temperatures right. Yeah, but... That's like you need to do it. It spawns. Isn't yeah, that that's right. It's water temperatures. So it's got also... Some water, they added warmth. It's also a certain amount of sunlight and moonlight as well Ooh. that they need to work out because coral very much. It's mm. not just water temperature because, as you said, it's a flower photosynthesis mm-hmm. okay. Uh, okay. and so they've had to do a lot they actually prepared this lab in 2019 and they've been trialing since then and it's only been this year that they've been able to spawn coral so how do we how do we actually use this then are we going to actually manipulate the sun so that we get more coral spawning taking place well this is the thing and the moon i reckon do that if They've now worked out in the middle of winter how it is that they can spawn coral within a lab. Mm. And then they can transplant that coral into the ocean. So they spawn it in the lab and then dump it out in the ocean. Yeah, that's right. And it floats around and becomes coral. That's right. It finds a place to live and then grows from there. This is interesting. So this is is fantastic. So it's basically a way of creating coral seed seed off-season. Correct. Not that it's seed. Yeah. Because it's an animal. But you're able to create coral off-season in times in which, you know, think about it, you have some gnarly bleaching event or whatever it may be. and there's so you lots grow of coral during winter. Dead coral. So you grow, yeah, that's right. You grow a bunch of coral during winter. As I said, they've just figured out the formula to be able to get this to grow with the right water temperature, the right amount of, amount of sunlight, the right amount of, like, moonlight as well. Because they've found that that's incredibly important to coral and its growth. Apparently, I wonder how many. I wonder how many seeds they're able to not seeds, but I wonder how many seeds they're able to produce. Because when you see, you know, I've been in Queensland when the uh, coral has been spawning, and mm. the amount of spawn that is in the water. I mean, it just it just changes the color of the water. Yeah, it's just like massive. Uh-huh. How would you produce that for the Great Barrier Reef, which is thousands of kilometers long? Yeah. Well, obviously, you know. Everything is scalable, and then and then how do you distribute it? Do we do we make like massive tanks of coral spawn concentrate 
and dump it out of the bottom of an airplane as you fly along. Oh, like into the ocean, like to yeah. get it to spawn. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you could. I don't know. But I'm very curious. They're, they're solving. I want to know what they what they how they're going to do this. They're solving this problem here. But they're, but now, as I said, yeah. Well, this is the first step. They've built the formula. Is, they've created the formula. That's right. They've that, created the formula. That is like do, do the same thing over and over again. Correct. And and from here again, everything is scalable. But they've ticked the boxes in terms of their research and development, and it's like, oh, we can actually do this now. So what will be interesting is when they dump it in the ocean, will it survive in the cooler winter temperatures and will it grow into coral? Well, this is the thing. It's like if you cook it up in the lab during mm-hmm. winter, you could potentially, or even maybe they work out a seasonal way of being able to do this. Maybe it's August, September, something like that. Or maybe you could do it during normal spawning time in areas where it's been bleached and there's no coral That's right, just to, just to add. Like, that's the thing. You just work out a system of, okay, when can we, how long is it going to take us to spawn this coral in the lab? You spawn it, you get it going, you get it growing, and then you take it out and dump it in the ocean in an optimal time in which it would grow. Pretty tricky stuff. I've got friends who've had uh, saltwater fish tanks with mm-hmm. full of coral and fish and so forth mm. and, you know, tropical saltwater fish tanks. And it's a science. Yeah. It's absolute science. You've got, to, you've got to practice that science every single day to keep that fish tank alive. Mm. And you still lose so many fish and corals that just die. It's hard to do it in captivity. Yeah, they just give up. Yeah. But, thank, well, I think it shows us that we have an amazing ecosystem. Yeah. That is incredibly balanced and uh-huh. awesome and it's difficult to replicate. Uh, but simultaneously, now we're kind of taking the steps to be able to, to help it out, which is cool. So, praise God. I think, I think this is amazing. Uh, well, I have a little story here I wanted to talk about. So, this is kind of like, I would say this is like the logical conclusion of, of a certain technology and that technology being 3D printing, the logical conclusion is like, oh, how can we build buildings with a 3D printer? And uh, a certain company from California is, you know, endeavoring to do that. In fact, they've just been flooded with so many pre-orders that they are backed up for three months. Um, Printing houses. Printing houses, yeah. So they have like a $25, sorry, $25,000 space which is kind of deemed as like the office gym space and then a forty thousand dollar one bedroom one bath and they are selling it off this company's called azure and they've as i said they've got three months worth of pre-orders and they're currently in the process of like doing a funding round and and setting up all their technology and all the stuff that they need to be able to to mass produce this um but now they're in the works they're 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 in talks with the california government in terms of printing these one-bedroom, one-bathroom houses and solving the housing crisis in California. Nice. Which, if you didn't know, is probably one of the worst in the world. You know, we have a housing crisis here in Australia. That's what communism produces. Uh, what do you but, expect? But in California, it's... you got it, a communist state, you're going to get a housing crisis. It is extreme. I was talking to one of my friends from the States on Sunday who's out here at the moment. I, I, I got to see her and she's living in San... She was living in San Francisco over the summer, you know, doing an internship there during her college degree. And she was just talking about the how terrible the crisis is and how hard it is for people to find housing in an area where it's so expensive and it's just been so overwhelmingly gentrified and so many people who, you know, grew up there and families are from there just can't find housing and they've got such a homeless problem. And then they're like, yeah, we're going to solve the problem by 3D printing one-bedroom houses. 
nice. which which I'm like, that's cool. But does it does it entirely solve the problem? Are we just going to chuck one bedroom houses and just put every homeless person in there, or is there a way to actually be able to properly house people? It's it's a, a difficult situation, and we'll see how it goes forward from here. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is the Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We're about to have another question for our quiz. Ah, uh, another question for the quiz. Where did Barak? Read the words of the prophet Jeremiah. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. Again, that question was, where did Barak read the words of the prophet Jeremiah? If you get that answer correct, you will go into the draw to win our Bible study companion box set, Conflict of the Ages. And we will give that to you absolutely for free. You just have to win the draw. And if you want to win the draw, you have to answer the question correctly, which is, where did Barak Read the words of the prophet Jeremiah, 0491-064-669. All right, let's go to some more serious news this morning, find out what is happening around the world. And we did mention that we're going to talk about East Africa this morning, where hunger has more than doubled in a year, according to a report from Christian Aid. Uh, The response has remained static. So this is a problem. If hunger has doubled, then the response needs to double proportionally Mm. with the hunger, but it has not done so. In 2021, there were 2.1 million people in Kenya facing food insecurity. Mm. Uh, This year, there are 4.1 million Kenyans facing food insecurity. So when we're talking about food insecurity, that's a very polite way of saying starvation. Mm. Um, you go to Ethiopia, you compare that in Ethiopia in 2021, there were 5.2 million people facing uh, food insecurity in 2021. And this year, that has quadrupled to 20 million. Uh, then along with that, of course, you've got other East African countries uh, like Sudan and so forth. Uh, that are in the same category, but we don't have the same statistics, we don't have the accurate statistics for. And so they're basically saying, look, the indication is that at the very least it has doubled and aid to these countries has remained static. Look at the causes of this. Um, first of all, top on the list of obviously COVID um, and the effects of COVID on prices and disrupted supply chains mm. and, of course, the collapse of local businesses, uh, etc. So COVID has had a massive effect. Uh, predictably, we're probably going to see a lot more people die of starvation than died of COVID in these mm. particular countries, which is going to be a tragedy. Uh, but then on top of that, you've got these comp- compounding influences like drought. You've got conflict in Ethiopia, which is why it's up four times more than the other areas. In some places, you've got flooding. So you've got drought in some areas, flooding in others. Uh, and then you've had some rather large desert locust infestations. And so we need to be praying about the situation in East Africa and we need to be doing what we can to try and alleviate very, very desperate situation mm. that is developing over there that could really become a massive, massive crisis. All right, moving to the United States. We mentioned this yesterday that a new a, a, an article put out by a think tank in the New York Times about the Constitution stating that the U.S. Constitution is broken and should not be reclaimed. In other words, just ditch the whole thing. And these guys are coming from the left, of course, and they say liberals lose in the Supreme Court. They usually say that the justice has got the Constitution wrong, but struggling over the Constitution has proved to be a dead end. The real need is not to reclaim the Constitution, but instead 
to reclaim America from its constitution. In other words, ditch the constitution. We don't need a constitution anymore. Just get rid of it altogether and rule by majority. That's a very terrifying thing for a group of academic think tanks to come up with because the moment you go down to ruling by majority, you now have what is called mob rule. Mm. The purpose of a constitution is to limit the power of the majority and to protect minorities. That's the whole purpose mm. for constitution. You never, you don't need, majorities never need protection. They are protected purely by the fact that they're a majority. They are majority. Yeah. You never need to write laws to protect, protect a majority. Mm. Uh, this is one of the reasons why here in Australia we have never written laws to protect people of faith mm. because they've never needed it because up until now we've been a majority. Now mm. we are a minority and uh, under the last administration here in Australia, of course, they tried to bring in the religious anti-discrimination law and failed to do so. Mm. But it does leave us as a minority without protection. So this is, a, in my mind, a, a, a very scary fundamental misunderstanding of the purpose of a constitution. The purpose of a constitution is there to curb the power of the majority. Mm. Uh, they go on and say it's time for liberals to radically alter the basic rules of the game, proposals to increase number of justices, strip the Supreme Court's jurisdiction, to invalidate federal law or otherwise soften the blow of judicial review, frequently come together with the assurance that the problem is not the Constitution, only the Supreme Court's hijacking of it. Mm. And even when the progressives concede that the Constitution is at the root of our situation, typically they call for some kind of new constitutionalism. Goes on to say that that's never going to work because the Constitution is always going to restrict the majority. Mm. Distortion and distraction to transform our national life into a content contest over reinterpreting our founding charter consistently with what majorities... Sorry, they talk about the distortion and the distraction to transform, listen to this, to transform our national life into a contest over reinterpreting our founding charter consistently with what majorities believe now. Mm. And so they're saying the problem here is that there is a distortion between the Constitution and what majorities believe. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. When I read that, I'm like, Americans... Your constitution is working mm. because it's restricting the power of the majorities. Yeah. It's actually doing its job. And they're screaming like, oh, no, oh, no, 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 this is terrible <laughs> because the constitution is doing what it was written to do. Yes. What it was for. Uh, they point out and bemoan the fact that it's difficult to find a constitutional basis for abortion or labour unions in a document more than two centuries ago. Well, you know what? Those things were, well, particularly abortion was illegal when the Constitution was written and nobody mm -hmm. questioned its illegality. Mm -hmm. uh, they go on to say it would be far better if Liberal legislators could simply make a case for abortion and labour rights on their own merits without having to bother with a Constitution. Very interesting article right here, particularly in light of the statement that we read yesterday by an American author in the late 1800, about the 1880s, I think this was written, where she says, our country shall repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Protestant and Republican government. Mm. Well, we're seeing that coming from both sides. 
Protestant government believes in separation of church and state. Well, the Protestants of the United States are reaching across as hard as they possibly can to create a union of church and state. Mm. Uh, a a or a Protestant people, I should say. Uh, a Republican government is a government by the people for the people mm. that is limited by its constitution so that it can actually be for the people. That's right. Yeah, once again, I mean, that was written by Ellen White. Mm. How did she know way back then? She was thought to be a fool when she wrote those things mm. so long ago, but maybe not so much thought to be a fool right now. Heading over to China, um, authorities in China on August 19 officially liquidated a house church in the Xi'an, Jiangxi, in Xi'an, in the Jiangxi province. Uh, this came as a result of a crackdown on churches that refused to join the state-controlled three-self church. Mm. Uh, it's got a dodgy name. Anything church that has self in it is kind of, yeah. Mm. Uh, this particular church, this house church, was uh, labelled as being a cult that collected illegal donations. Officials closed it as an illegal social organisation. So this was not saying as being a faith organisation but a social one a social one that refused to join the Chinese Communist Party. Yikes. Yeah, it's pretty heavy stuff. And, uh, of course, this is part of uh, Xi Jinping's action against non-Sinicized religious groups. Mm. In other words, religious groups that have not been communist-ified. Yeah. Have not been aligned with the... I mean, they've written their own Bible. The, the, the Chinese Communist Party has written their own Bible. They've done a major edit of the Bible and taken out everything in the Bible that would be seen as being anti the Chinese Communist Party mm. and then highlighted parts of the Bible that they see as being in their favour. Um, this was an illegal gathering, illegal fundraising, illegal venue registration were the three charges that were placed against it and they took the pastor out and beat him black and blue. Um, his eyes were bloodshot. He had dried blood in his eyes. His face mark was covered. Face mask was covered in blood streaks. His arms, his hands were bruised and swollen. These guys are being treated like the worst criminals on Yikes. the planet. And you know there are some heavy, heavy hitting criminals in China that are getting off scot free on a regular basis, but mm. not people of faith. Mm. Don't expect it to be any different in this country in the near future. Um, the preacher of the day, Fu Yuan, um, his, her whereabouts is unknown. Her husband has not received any official written notice of detention, mm. nothing whatsoever at all. Oh, and by the way, it took over 100 heavily armed police to raid this house church. Mm. Uh, that's a massive show of force. That's a publicity statement right there. Um, videos have been leaked uh, where the members are being beaten and there was a number of people who are hospitalised as a result. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And we're about to get into interview of the day. It's that time of the day. It's also that time of the day when we have another question for our quiz. Where did Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, live? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call if you know the answer to that one. If you do, again, you'll go into the draw to win our Conflict of the Ages 
box set, you will get it absolutely for free. We'll give it to you. All you have to do is win the draw, and all you have to do to get in the draw is answer these questions correctly, of course. If you want terms and conditions in regards to our quiz, you can head to our website, faithfm.com.au. But again, that question was, where did Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, live? 0491-064-669. Okay, so we'd love to hear from our listeners this morning. Let us know what you thought about the first half of the show and the stories that we covered. Uh, so give us a shoot us a text message or give us a call on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. But before we do that, uh, which will come after the eight o'clock news, right now we have interview of the day, and joining us on the phone to talk about emotional health is Jennifer Skews. Jennifer, welcome to the show. You mean Sue Burke? Sue Burke. Why am I thinking Jennifer Skews? I'm sorry. We have Sue Burke from... That's all right. We were only chatting yesterday. It's all good. I was talking to both of you yesterday, but I talked to Jennifer after I talked to you, and somehow I just had it stuck in my head. Okay, everybody who's listening, it's Tuesday today. It is not Wednesday. Um, I've been a a day out for the last two days now, um, which is always good fun. It is Tuesday. Jennifer Skews will be joining us tomorrow, uh, but right now we have Sue Burke from Asian Aid to talk about what is happening in, uh, well, Bangladesh, India, Nepal, where you guys are operating, yes. Yeah, Um, that's right. Now, we've just noticed um, recently, you know, we've been talking about the flooding that's been taking place in Bangladesh. I see it spreading right through to Pakistan, terrible floods over there. Can you give us a bit of an update on what is happening in this part of the world? Well, it's still continuing. So it's a bit of an El Nino effect like we've experienced. So there's still significant flooding. We've managed to reopen all of our schools, which is really exciting. Um, And we've actually just last week provided uh, fresh bed linen to all the communities so that they've got somewhere safe to sleep and we've provided released additional funds on top of what we usually do to support those adventure schools and communities and to commence rebuilding toilets and other damaged parts of buildings, rebuilding the schools, bridges, roads and also the homes in those communities as well that have been displaced. So that's we're continuing that work and we do require additional support from your listeners. If they can help with that, that would be amazing. So that's probably how I can explain how the flooding is um, commencing. There's also some additional conversations with working with the Bangladesh Union really closely at the moment to look at how we can future flood proof these schools as well. And we work really closely with all the unions, but particularly Bangladesh, because Pastor Ronnie, who heads up that union, is a former sponsored child. And so we have a really deep connection with that union and our partner in Bangladesh is also a for our head that heads up that partnership is also a former sponsored child. So we talk so a lot about... So when you talk about a sponsored child, this is somebody who has come through the Asian aid system, has benefited from it, um, and has received their education that way. That's right, and continues to do God's work and walk Jesus' path by helping the most vulnerable. So we talk about it at Asian Aid as creating an enduring legacy, and so Pastor Ronnie has been out literally pounding out food parcels to children and their families through that flooded area with other other members of their 
the church system and community. And it just really touches us that that sponsorship someone did 20, 30 years ago continues to this day by doing service to God. Yeah, wow, amazing, praise God. Hey, tell me, when we think about Bangladesh, and this is a place that gets flooded fairly regularly, look at it on a map, yep. it's just kind of like one big river delta. Um, how much of that country is flood prone? Do we know? Yeah, it's really hard to put a percentage on it. Obviously, like most flood plains, there is some flooding that happens on a regular basis. This monsoon period has been one of the worst in over 100 years. And so there's been more of the country flooded than usual. And that's why we've had schools affected for the first time and um, the communities that have been impacted. Right. Yeah. So when you look at, you look at um, you know, these large areas that regularly get flooded, and, and you talk about, you know, how do we flood-proof our schools in the future and that kind of thing, is this a matter of, you know, uh, do the options involve just building these, these buildings on stilts so that the floods just come and go underneath? Uh, is, it, uh, is there the possibility of building, you know, walls around them to stop the floodwaters coming in or is yeah. it just going to make it elsewhere? What, what kind of... What kind of ideas are you exploring to, you know, because, I mean, well, in a place think, that gets flooded so regularly, it seems yeah. that this this is something needs to happen. Yeah, so our schools haven't really been flooded before. Th- these particular schools haven't been flooded before, so this is kind of um, an event that we're looking at for the longer term, what that might look like. But we have one school, for example, that we built a really huge wall around it um, and last year, and it was a huge investment, infrastructure investment for us, but was not affected from the floods this right. year. So the, so the levee so, wall, wall actually worked then, and this one was yeah, preserved? was saved. So we may have to further look at what kind of infrastructure we can offer those schools, because it needs to be long-term. We can't do a Band-Aid approach to an amputation, you know. We need to be able to fix the problem so it doesn't continue. Um, But as I said, in this particular instance, it wasn't expected to be so severe and schools and families and communities around those Adventist schools have never been flooded before. So like um, we don't build schools on floodplains, you know, for these reasons. So. Yeah, but these one-off events, if they continue, like they're continuing here in Australia, then obviously we're going to have to look at case-by-case basis. And that's why they're longer-term solutions um, to these very big problems. But as a result of those floods and as a result of us expanding our program around our Adventist schools, we actually have more children need to be sponsored. We currently have 500 children in our system that are, that need support. So if anyone would like, any of your listeners feel touched about what we do and would like to become a sponsor, it's a monthly donation or support of a child for $55 a month. Um, but if they can't do that, but they feel touched about the work that we do, And as I've mentioned previously, we call our schools beacons of light because they do shine the light of Christianity in places that really Christianity isn't a primary religion. 
And so if they can help but they can't monthly support, we've actually um, designed a new pack of greeting cards, which for $15 you can purchase a pack of 10, and they're not just Christmas cards, they're cards with beautiful pictures of the places we work and other children that people support with a lovely Bible verse on them. So they can be used for any special occasion um, and they're just $15 a pack and they can go online and order those as well. Yeah, now that's really quite remarkable. Now, you mentioned 500 students. That's a big chunk who need support right now. What happens to Mm -hmm. these students if you're not able to find sponsors for them? Well, we have a fund called Meet the Need and we have an education program. So within that, we still continue to support those 500 children in the system, but obviously... Can you do that that long-term, though? I mean, are these... No, no. So that's why we sometimes ask people to dig a little deeper because obviously we want to help more and more children, their families and communities to... Um, flourish in faith and future prosperity. Hello, have we just did we just lose Sue Burke right there? I I can't hear anything coming through at this end. We may have to, we're just going to have to uh, take a moment to get Sue Burke back on the on on the line. Mm. I'm not quite sure what happened. It looks like something is disconnected between the producer studio and the microphones here. Mm. But just thinking about that for a moment, so you've you've got 500 students that need support right now, mm-hmm. um, and she was saying it's 55 dollars a month to be able to do so. Wow! So just running that through on the calculator, that's going to cost you 13 dollars and 75 cents a week. Yes, mm. Sue, welcome back to the show. I was just pointing out that 55 dollars a month comes to 13 dollars and 75 cents a week. Week. That's not a lot of money. I mean, that buys you what two, two and a half loaves of bread. Yeah, that's right. So, so for, for the not... price of the price of two and a half loaves of bread, you can change radically change the life of an individual somewhere on the other side of the world. Yeah, and I think you know, as Christians, we all need to really look at how we walk in Jesus' footsteps. And mm. Jesus didn't actually just go to churches; he walked amongst the most vulnerable. And by sponsoring a child, that allows you to be his hands and feet as well. Yes, absolutely. So, and I just want to encourage our listeners, you know, think about this. This is, this is just, and it's remarkable to me that, you know, our money will go so far, you know, in a country like Bangladesh. If you were to sponsor a child through their educational system here in Australia, it's going to cost you a lot more than that. But we don't have the same level of needs as they do in Bangladesh, India, Nepal, etc. But at the same time, your money can really, really go a long way. And what's also I find interesting is that, you know, you've, you, you're now working with students that have graduated, that have come through the system, are now highly educated and uh, administrators, major administrators in the country. So this is a system that has proven itself to be working. How long have how long has Asian Aid been around for now? Uh, fifty seven fifty seven years. Wow. Okay, so that's a, this is a charity with a very very long track record. Um, really encourage our our listeners to to jump on board right here. Now you mentioned that the needs are not just with the schools, but with you know local infrastructure as well, you mentioned roads and so forth. Are you in a position? Have you been in a position to be able to work with local governments to help with you know just getting the basic stuff back up and running again? Yeah, so we have been working really closely with both the unions and local government 
to uh, ensure that the roads are clear so the children can walk to school safely. And so that's been a primary concern of ours to ensure that the children, not just the schools are open, but the children can get there safely as well. Um, so, yes, we have been working really closely, really hard, and there's been many volunteers, like in Australia during bush, the bushfires and floods, that have also pitched in, and many church groups as well, which we're very thankful for. Um, but what we can do is help empower them through donations so that they can be our hands and feet on the ground. Mm, absolutely. Mm. You mentioned one thing that sort of comes to my mind is, you know, what happens to all of the teachers and the staff when these floods come through uh, and how do you raise money for them? Does the does the money that, you know, does that $55 a month or that $13, $13.75 a week that covers the student, uh, does that cover the teaching staff and are, are you able to cover all of those costs uh, through that kind of... Um, through that kind of sponsorship. And if you've got 500 that are lacking in sponsorship right now, does that mean that there is the potential for having to put off staff if we can't find sponsors for those kids? Yes, so the union um, pays for the teachers through the Adventist School Network, Um, but we have provided additional support during COVID when the schools were closed, and we'll continue to do that when we talk about serving the community and ensuring the community, that includes the teachers as part of that community group. And I would imagine that many of these teachers would have lost their homes and possessions during the flood as well. Um, so this is something that we definitely need to keep in mind. Uh, would is, has, has, Have you been able to support the, the, teacher, the staff in getting their feet back on the ground? Yes, we have. But it's a longer-term solution because we need to obviously help rebuild not just the but also the homes. So it's an ongoing process and we'll obviously continue to assist as we can and as is needed. Um, Lyle, I'd really encourage everyone to go online to our website or to pick up a newsletter, which is called Response, which you might pick up through your church groups or your schools, and it shows some amazing photos of people wading through mud and water to actually deliver food packages to people. It's pretty inspiring. Sue Burke, thank you so much for joining us here from Asian Aid this morning. I'd encourage everybody to head over to the Asian Aid website and to check out exactly what she was talking about. There is opportunities right there. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.